And it kills 99.9% of COVID within 10 minutes. Ionization? Is that what ionization. It is? Ionization. It's ionization. Yes. It's ionization. That'll fix it. It's all good. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York, where it is election day today on WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ in Seattle on KODX in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, where it's also Election Day. Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition, no doubt, of the Bradcast. Desi Doyen is here as well yep. and uh, very happy about another Green News report coming up <laughs> in a while. Yeah. With nothing but good news. Actually, there is some good news there in, really the, is uh, for in the Green News report today. Well, there are, there's always a little something. Unfortunately, the good news here is not coming from the U.S. It is coming <laughs> from, well, let's just say Europe. Yes. Speaking of Europe... This is fun. What goes around comes around, I guess, breaking this afternoon from the New York Times. The European Union countries rushing to revive their economies and reopen their borders after months of coronavirus restrictions are prepared to block Americans from entering because the U.S. has failed to control the, scur- the scourge, according to, according to draft lists of acceptable travelers seen by the New York Times. That prospect, which would lump American visitors in with Russians and Brazilians as unwelcome in the EU, is a stinging blow to American prestige in the world and a repudiation of President Trump's handling of the virus in the U.S., which has more than 2.3 million cases now and upwards of 120,000 deaths, more than any other country. Are you tired of all the winning yet? 
President Trump, as well as his Russian and Brazilian counterparts, Vladimir Putin and Jair Bolsonaro, according to the paper, has followed what critics call a comparable path in their pandemic response that leaves all three countries in a similarly bad spot. They were dismissive at the outset of the crisis, slow to respond to scientific advice, and saw a boom of domestic cases as other parts of the world, notably in Europe and Asia, were slowly managing to get their outbreaks under control. But Trump, Putin, Bolsonaro... They nailed it. They knew better. They ignored it. Then they were slow to respond. Denial, all of that stuff. And uh, look where it got them. European nations are currently haggling over two potential lists of acceptable visitors to allow back into the EU based on how countries are faring with the coronavirus pandemic. Both include China, as well as developing nations like Uganda, Cuba and Vietnam. And apparently both lists also include the United States as excluded countries. Travelers from the United States and the rest of the world have been excluded from visiting the European Union, with few exceptions, mostly for repatriations or essential travel since mid-March. But a final decision on reopening the borders is expected early next week before the bloc reopens on July 1. And as many European countries are desperate to have tourists return particularly American tourists. Except American tourists that aren't infected with a deadly pandemic disease. You know, maybe they ought to build a wall around Europe (laughs) and help keep the Americans out. Uh, Back in March, you'll recall, when Europe was the epicenter of the disease, Trump infuriated European leaders when he banned citizens from most European countries from traveling to America. Trump justified the move as necessary at the time to protect the United States which at the time had roughly 1,100 coronavirus cases. I would add known or confirmed coronavirus cases back at the time. Uh, And they had just 38 deaths. Again, we have some 120,000 deaths now. In late May and early June, Trump said Europe was, quote, making progress and hinted that some restrictions would be lifted soon. But nothing has happened since then. No restrictions have been lifted soon, unless you were uh, a fan of Donald Trump's campaign. Who is that guy, Nigel Farage, who was somehow allowed back to the U.S.? (laughs) Yes, the U.K. Brexit leader who insisted and and actually told many, many lies to fool the British public into voting for Brexit. He was given a special dispensation from some maneuvering. Yes, a national national security or national importance or something. He got to come back from Europe. Nobody else. In any event, the tables have turned now, it seems. Uh, Today, Europe has largely curbed the outbreak, even as the United States, the worst afflicted, has seen more infection surges across the country just in the past week. Well, way to go, Donald. Making America persona non grata again should be his new uh, theme, I guess. Of course, this is not just a matter of retribution by Europe, they really would like to welcome Americans back. Uh, We send a lot of tourists and and students over there, and it's important to the EU economy, if not as important as helping to keep their own citizens alive. So uh, thanks, but no thanks. 
U.S., apparently. And given the disastrous job that we have been doing in this country at controlling the outbreak, as many states and governors and and Trump supporters continue to pretend there is nothing to worry about, the surges are continuing to hospitalize Americans in record numbers in many places and, yes, kill them in the bargain. Because, well, you know, because of all the reasons that we've been yelling and screaming about on this show for weeks now, as states began to reopen anyway, despite warnings from us and most importantly, uh, actual health experts who apparently aren't nearly as clever as the Trump supporting governors around the country, it seems. The spike in coronavirus cases in Florida, Arizona, Texas, Oregon, get to that in a second, and other southern and western states can be traced back to around Memorial Day, apparently, when officials began loosening their lockdowns. Who could have guessed it? That's according to health experts on uh, Monday. And in about two weeks, hospitals in those states could find themselves struggling to find enough beds for patients, one of the nation's top public health experts has warned. Dr. Eric Toner of Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security said in some smaller southern towns, the per capita rate of infections could be as high as New York City was at its peak. In the last 14 days, Oregon has reported a 234 percentage jump in infections. Oklahoma has jumped 202 percent. Florida's number increased by 155 percent and Arizona's confirmed coronavirus cases climbed by 142 percent. Texas, Utah, Arkansas, Louisiana and more than a dozen other states had increases in the numbers of reported cases over the past two weeks. Toner said it's basically the same reason for all of these states. It was Memorial Day. And in the last week of May, he says, most states began to seriously relax community mitigation efforts. Toner said that as lockdowns are relaxed, we will see a rise in coronavirus cases. Well, this is not rocket science, but it is epidemiological science. Uh, so and that's not me saying that. That's, uh, you know, not that's Dr. Toner. As we reopen cases, we're going to see a rise in coronavirus cases, particularly in places where they are not warning people about doing things like wearing masks and staying socially distant. The question is how high they will rise, he said. Oregon, for example, has done a good job, he said, of dealing with the pandemic. And if people adhere to wearing face masks and social distancing, it may not be bad. But some southern and western states have gone out of their way to not wear face masks or practice uh, practice social distancing, he said. And we expect it to be much, much worse there. So Oregon Governor Kate Brown is a Democrat. She delayed reopening four of the state's most populous counties this month when these uh, case uh, numbers started to rise. Dr. Paul Cislack, the senior health advisor to the Oregon Health Authority, said Oregon's recent rise in cases is due to a combination of many factors. He said we've had quite a few workplace outbreaks, increased contact tracing and uh, testing, a large outbreak in Union County. I believe that was the outbreak of we, we noted a few days ago of 200 infections after a large church service at a Pentecostal church back in May in violation of the state's prohibition against large gatherings at the time. 
That has helped. Thanks, Pentecostalists. Is that how you say that? Pentecostalists? Close enough, yeah. Pentecostalers? I don't know. Anyway, uh, and finally, uh, the doctor said just more community spread, uh, adding that the state still has a very low per capita case and death count and has the fifth lowest cases per capita among states as measured by the CDC. So even though they've had a big increase so far, it's still very low per capita in Oregon. That's good. And it's good that Cape Brown has delayed the state's reopening uh, for a number of weeks as these uh, cases are climbing. Similarly, down in Louisiana, Governor John Bell Edwards, another Democrat, announced on Monday that he would also delay the next phase of the state's reopening for 28 days for a full month. He says this remains a very contagious disease. There are a lot of people out there saying they are done with this virus. Well, the virus isn't done with us, he said. So that's good, too. On the other hand... The Republican governors of Arizona and Florida and Texas and Oklahoma have been more aggressive with reopening over the objections of local hospital officials. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican, warned Monday that, quote, additional measures are going to be necessary and that he may clamp down on businesses that do not require masks if the number of cases continues to climb. Well, take your time, Governor. Of course, he has still refused, refused to issue a mandate for people to wear masks in public places because, you know, freedom to die and to kill others, apparently, because I guess it's Texas. Yeah. If you know, on Facebook, I see many folks talking about how awesome it is to go to this restaurant and they only required you to wear masks going in and going out. But once you were inside, you could take it off. And they're all gathered together, together. just like old times, talking about how great it all was. And the poor servers have to wear masks. And I hope the servers make it through. Yeah, no kidding. Last week, Abbott, in fact, blamed Memorial Day celebrations, along with a rise in the number of prison inmates who contracted the virus. That's what he's blaming uh, for this uh, new data. Donald Trump, meanwhile, and allies, including Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, have attributed the rise in cases to more testing. It's just more testing. A claim that health experts say is at best only partly true. It is not only the number of positive cases. And I know we have said this over and over again on this show. And I know we've, we've told these stories over and over again on this show. But you know what? This is not just this is not just a political issue. This is not just something that I feel you should know. This is a health issue. People are dying because of jackasses in government and on the media who are not reporting these things as they should over and over again to, frankly, if necessary, scare the hell out of people so they do the right thing when it's easy enough. It is easy enough to wear a mask. It just is. You might still get the virus. But if you wear a mask, it greatly decreases the chances that all the rest of us will get the virus. Anyway, it's as I've said over and over, it's not just the number of positive cases. It's the percentage rate of tests that are coming back positive. That is also on the rise in these states along with a surge in hospitalizations. And there's not a surge in hospitalizations just because you're doing more tests. People go to the hospital 
and, and are admitted to the hospital because they need to be in the hospital. Because they are sick enough to be hospitalized. Texas has doubled its number of hospitalizations over the past week and a half, during which it has seen new records of new hospitalization each and every day. How was that Red Robin meal, Desi's friends on Facebook? <laughs> yeah. Ducey, Governor Ducey in Arizona, as well as Governor DeSantis in Florida, Governor Abbott in Texas, they have all insisted that their states have plenty of intensive care beds to handle any surge. So no reason to worry. Everything is fine. We've got beds. We've got plenty of room for our residents to come in and die. No reason to panic. Enjoy the meal at TGI Fridays. DeSantis has uh, down in Florida has also changed his state's guidelines for ICU reporting. From now on, apparently DeSantis doesn't want hospitals to report the number of patients in ICU beds. He wants hospitals to report the number of patients who require a, quote, intensive level of care. What that means exactly I have no idea. Do you, Desi? No, but I think that that's the point. It'll be a subjective measure of who requires really, truly intensive, intensive care in intensive care. I see. So you could be in an ICU bed but not be counted on this list? As as, a super intensive because somebody, maybe the hospital administrator, decides that's not really intensively intensive care. You know, nobody knows. Nobody knows. But I do suspect it is not better for Floridians to keep them uh, more in the dark about actual information about the pandemic in their own state. Florida has now passed 100,000 coronavirus cases as of Monday. It has now recorded more than uh, 3,170 deaths. But in Arizona, the growing number of cases in Phoenix in particular uh, have been especially worrying to health experts, if not to Republican politicians who apparently are using their own very bad political instincts before uh, the upcoming November elections to make these decisions about the health of their residents rather than listening to well-respected health and infectious disease experts. We're choosing to listen to the latter on this program. I hope you will forgive us, as radical as that uh, appears to be these days. Since late May, Arizona has experienced a spike in COVID-19 cases and has become one of the country's most active hotspots for the virus. The demand for hospital beds, intensive care units, and ventilators to treat infected patients across the state has set daily records in the past week. So now is it a problem? Now that you don't have enough ICU beds, Governor? Is that a concern yet? How about in the city of Phoenix, which has been hit particularly hard? One week ago, here's what uh, University of Arizona's infectious disease epidemiologist, Dr. Pernima Madivan, told me, warned about uh, her concerns in Phoenix specifically. I think history is going to remember this and, you know, we'll have to confront with what we are doing right now. My biggest concern here in Arizona is Phoenix. We have almost 50 percent of the entire state of Arizona cases right here in Phoenix, Uh, but we don't have enough hospital beds for them. And are we going to come to a state like situation like in Italy where we have to decide who gets a ventilator and who's going to die? In Arizona, we are even confronting the truth because they keep saying, our governor says we have 
enough hospital beds, mm-hmm. but he is not telling us that when you say enough hospital beds, those are all over the state. It's not like you're going to airlift somebody who needs a ventilator in Phoenix to Yuma. Yep. So when you start looking at the geographical spread, we, we have a crisis situation right now in Phoenix. And, and if he is smart, he would close out the borders to Phoenix like yesterday. That's not happening. That's not happening. If he were smart, he would close out the close down the borders to Phoenix like yesterday. Well, that was a week ago. And now Donald Trump, who spoke over the weekend in Tulsa, despite city health officials there begging him to cancel his uh, campaign event. That was carried out to a two-thirds empty arena because while many of his supporters may be misinformed, brainwashed racists, they ain't stupid, apparently, and they may not be ready to actually die yet just to hear dear leader do his racist, denialist comedy routine in person. Well, that was over the weekend uh, in Oklahoma, and now as we go to air today, President Trump is about to speak at another campaign event at a church in Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona. The uh, mayor there, Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego, urged him to wear a mask before taking the podium in her city on Tuesday. I'm sure he'll get right on that. (laughs) Everyone attending the event, particularly any elected official, she said, should set an example to residents by wearing a mask. She said in a statement on Tuesday, this includes the president. Now, he has not yet spoken as we go to air. I know they're all waiting. They're all excited. They're all in the church. They're spreading the disease to each other even as we speak. But I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say Donald Trump is not going to wear a mask when he speaks at this church. Mayor Gallego took a much stronger tone on the issue of mask wearing in Tuesday's statement after earlier remarks in a CNN interview on Sunday when asked uh, how the city's mask policy would be implemented at Trump's event. She told CNN's Wolf Blitzer that uh, local officials were, quote, not going to be focused on enforcement. Whether they will on Tuesday uh, finally uh, remains to be seen. The mayor's comments also come after eight of the president's own campaign staffers, eight, tested positive for COVID-19 after the masks optional re-election rally in Tulsa on Saturday. Trump has routinely disregarded CDC guidelines that have recommended the use of face coverings to curb the spread of the coronavirus. Trump has turned mask wearing into a political issue by shirking any presidential duty to set an example for protecting public health, even mocking his political opponents for wearing masks themselves, describing them as weak for doing so. But, hey, uh, good news, good news for those uh, for the for the for the president and for all of those who are attending Tuesday's Phoenix event for some Trump campaign astroturf group calling itself Students for Trump. Good news, good late news here. You're totally safe from the virus there. You have nothing to worry about. (laughs) The virus uh, will be destroyed, at least 99.9% of it anyway. That is the word from the senior pastor and the chief operations officer of Dream City Church, whose Phoenix location is hosting the president and a long list of GOP stars, including two governors and several members of Congress. 
for the Students for, for Trump event that could draw as many as 3,000 people. When you come into our auditorium, 99% of COVID is gone, killed. If it was there in the first place, says Dream City Church senior pastor Luke Barnett. This was in a Facebook video on Sunday, standing alongside the church's CFO, Brendan Zastro. And I, I will try to link to the video of these two geniuses when I post today's show, because you really, you really have to see these guys uh, to believe it. Though the video, as of early today, was actually not available anymore for some oh, reason. Really? Yeah. But I think the audio that we have gives you, uh, gives you a good idea. Hey, gang, we have some exciting information about what we're doing to fight uh, COVID-19 uh, here at Dream City Church. We're probably the first church in the nation to... Yeah, we've, uh, we've installed Clean Air EXP. We have a local Arizona company. It was technology developed by some members of our church. And we've installed these units and it kills 99.9% of COVID within 10 minutes from yeah. independent testing. It's a ionization, is that what it is? Ionization, it's ionization of, of the air and it takes particulates out and COVID cannot live in that environment. So when you come into our auditorium, 99% of COVID is gone, That's killed, right. if it was there in the first place. So you can know when you come here, you'll be safe and uh, protected. Thank God for great technology and thank God for being proactive. Amen. Bless you guys. Amen. Thank you. Thank God. Ionization. Ionization. Will take care of everything uh, at the event today. And of course, that is not true. And what? And, and, and what really shocks me about this is that, listen, if you've got some amazing technology that's going to eliminate 99.9% of coronavirus, isn't it sort of your duty as an American to dispense to this, with, to share no. this to other people? No, no. This was a church member. He's saving it, uh, apparently he or she, I guess, who developed it. They're saving it just for the church, just for the event that Donald Trump is coming to speak at. That's where they're going to use all of this ionization. I wonder if they're requiring liability forms to be signed for anybody who might get sick at this oh, event. Oh, I bet they are. Now, experts, if you believe in those sorts of things, have dismissed the notion that air purifiers alone can eliminate the risk of COVID-19. The church might not want to hang its hopes on the air purifier, according to Lindsay Marr, a professor of civil and environmental engineering at Virginia Tech. You know, one of those eggheads in her ivory halls. Uh, she studies the airborne transmission of infectious disease. So what does she know? <laughs> she said uh, that these ionization systems can reduce the uh, can reduce the background level. Uh, but it does not help uh, the level of the uh, of the virus, but it doesn't help when you're in close proximity to others, she told TPM. In other words, unless every rally attendee has their own personal purification system, the church is not going to stop 99.9% of the coronavirus. Despite the two geniuses in that Facebook video. Uh, Jeffrey Siegel, a professor of civil engineering at the University of Toronto who specializes in air quality, again, what does he know, says this claim has not been demonstrated in any peer-reviewed independent forum that I am aware of. Clean Air EXP, the company whose filtration system the church said it had installed, writes on its website that the product, quote, eliminates 99.9% of coronavirus from the air in less than 10 minutes. Huh. Exactly what those two yutzes said in the video. 
uh, noting that a lab analysis was performed with a, quote, surrogate virus. So not the actual coronavirus, but a surrogate virus. Of unknown determination. Yes. We're not going to tell you what it is. Just trust us. Yes, they, they did not return TPM's request for comment, but I guess they're very busy now uh, sending out these they got a lot of filtration ionization to do, man. machines <laughs> all around the country. It may uh, kill coronavirus within 10 minutes, uh, said Virginia Tech's Mar of this purification system. But it has to get there first, she said, describing a scenario of two attendees at the Tuesday event. For example, one infected with COVID-19 but not showing any symptoms and the other healthy. And in order for the air purification system to work, she said... The droplets coming from the infected person's mouth would have to travel through the purification system before the healthy neighbor breathed them in, which she said is an unlikely feat in a large crowded space. She said, when I'm in a crowd and I'm close to people, I'm going to end up breathing their exhalations before they have a chance to get to that purifier and come back to me. She said uh, no air purification system would be able to prevent transmission, quote, between people who are in a crowded environment. So I'm sure it's all going well. And uh, where uh, Memorial Day has now led to a spike about two or three weeks later, I suspect we're going to also see a spike coming out of these uh, protests over the last several weeks uh, in the wake of the police killing of George Floyd. And now I expect we're going to see in particular in particular because these are enclosed spaces, a spike coming out of, well, wherever it is that Donald Trump decides to hold rallies and risks the life of his own supporters. Because, you know, he has a sad that he can't speak with them. Anyway, speaking of crowded environments, voters in New York and Kentucky headed to the polls on Tuesday for their primary elections. In Kentucky, there is just one single polling place in all of Lexington and one in all of Louisville. How did it go? That story and more, including Desi Doyen and her latest Green News report, is all coming up next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Oh, the sun shines bright home old kentucky home tis summer the old folks are gay the old folks are gay well the corn tops right welcome back to the bradcast brad friedman from bradblog.com that is john prine who died a few weeks ago uh at the age of 73 from coronavirus uh, okay, on yesterday's broadcast, we reported that the great state of Kentucky had cut the number of polling places for Tuesday's primary from 3,700 to 200 overall across the state, and that there would be just one single polling place for some 616,000 registered voters in Louisville's Jefferson County, where half of the state's black voters live. 
Well, on Tuesday morning, AP reported with one polling place designated Tuesday for Louisville, a city of 600,000 people, voters who didn't cast mail-in ballots or show up early could face long lines in Kentucky's primary, the latest, along with New York, to unfold as the pandemic triggers unprecedented election disruptions across the country. AP says the outcome of a competitive Democratic U.S. Senate primary could hang in the balance if Election Day turnout, AP warned, is hampered in Louisville. That's the home of Charles Booker, who's mounted a strong late challenge against the presumed frontrunner for that U.S. Senate Democratic uh, nomination. Uh, uh, that would be Amy, uh, Amy McGrath. They are competing along with uh, Mike Breuer, who we had on this show, another progressive, a few weeks back for the honor of challenging the powerful, if unpopular, Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell this November. Republican State Congressman uh, Jason Nemes said on Monday that if Charles Booker barely loses, I think the integrity of that election is in question. When Georgia held its primary on June 9 after sending out absentee ballot applications to all active registered voters, Metro Atlanta voters uh, had to wait up to five hours. As in Milwaukee and Philadelphia in recent elections, many of the lines were concentrated in minority communities, sparking objections from voting rights advocates. Even in Nevada, where absentee ballots, not applications, but actual ballots were sent to every registered voter for the June 9 primary, large-scale consolidation of polling places led to very big, well, large-scale problems. The last voter in Las Vegas to cast a ballot did so at 3 a.m. on Wednesday morning eight hours after polls were supposed to close. And again, these are primary races. These are primary elections where, you know, turnout is maybe a quarter of what it's expected to be uh, on in, in November. And this was in Nevada where every voter was sent an actual ballot, not just an, a, an absentee ballot application. More than 883 absentee ballots were requested in Kentucky statewide, with slightly more than half filled out and sent in, according to Democratic Governor Andy Bashir. More than 88,000 Kentuckians voted in person early, he said. The state's Republican Secretary of State, Michael Adams, said he is, quote, cost, uh, cautiously optimistic that long lines would not force people to wait hours before voting in Louisville, where the only in-person Election Day voting place is at the state fairgrounds. Adams said there are going to be lines, 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe longer. But he added, we don't think anyone will be disenfranchised. Well, I guess if that's, uh, you know, if you can afford to wait for hours on a workday to vote, and if you can find a way to get there. To get there. Early voting opened uh, statewide two weeks ago in Kentucky. That, along with strong demand for absentee ballots, could, he said, spare people from long waits on Tuesday. Well, how do you think that worked out, Desi Doyne? Do you think it worked out well? Uh, no, I, I'm, uh, you know what? My guess is no. Actually, so far... At least according to AP's follow-up story this afternoon, that was their story this morning, at least so far, things seem to be going okay in Kentucky, sort of. Voting appeared to be running smoother, they said, in primaries on Tuesday than in elections held two weeks earlier in Georgia and Nevada. Of course, 
any election would run smoother than Georgia and Nevada. Yeah, that's a pretty low bar. Yeah, uh, but still, it's smoother in Kentucky. While there were reports of some voters in New York and Kentucky having cast ballots in person after failing to receive an absentee ballot, it did not appear, at least so far, to be causing the long lines that were seen in places like Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Atlanta, Georgia, and states where Republicans appear to have gone out of their way to make voting difficult at least for some. The longest wait times in the Bluegrass State are uh, being reported at the lone voting site in Lexington, Kentucky. Fayetteville County Clerk Don Blevins said he added two more check-in stations at the Lexington site after turnout remained steady into the late morning, with voters reporting a wait time of about an hour and a half. I guess an hour and a half wait times uh, in places like Lexington is considered good? Apparently. Uh, I mean, I guess it's better than the two or three or four or five or six hour wait times that we recently saw in Georgia and Wisconsin and Nevada and, and hell, even here in Los Angeles County. Thanks to the county's new touchscreen voting and electronic polling system that was forced on voters at the polls. And by the way, that was before COVID. But it's still a problem when you, you know, obviously it's a problem mm-hmm. that anybody has to wait more than, I would think, 30 minutes just to vote. But on Twitter, I have yeah. seen some folks, especially some disabled folks, who say, does anyone here realize that it is a two-hour bus ride just to get to the single location in Lexington, Kentucky, and then you have to wait in a line after that, yeah. and then you get a two-hour bus ride going back? Yep. This is, and I've got uh, some more on that in, in a moment here. This uh, 55-year-old Bob Woods, who spent nearly an hour and 15 minutes winding through the entryway of Kroger Field on the University of Kentucky's campus in Lexington, along with several hundred others before he approached the room where voters were finally being checked in, said, this is definitely the longest that I've ever had to wait. On the other hand, in Louisville, reportedly, voting was moving smoothly in the state's most populous city, despite the fact that residents had just one polling place available Tuesday for in-person voting. Each of the city's local districts was replicated inside the Kentucky Exposition Center there, and plenty of poll workers were available to direct voters to their designated area to cast their ballot. That's good. They should have more elections like this. You can get in and get out quick, according to 70-year-old Mary Mormon, an African-American woman who said she did not have to wait in lines like she normally would, though she noticed that there were few passengers on the bus that she took from her West End neighborhood to the exposition center. So uh, as Desi notes, this could mean that, you know, people could not. The reason that the lines are less long is because people could not make it out to the exposition center. Voting advocates say they are concerned some voters stayed home because it was too difficult for them to get to the city's lone polling place. Kristen Clark, the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, said we don't know how many voters in Jefferson County, that's Louisville, could not access the Expo Center today. And it's unfortunate that they were left with only one option. Indeed, Michael Baker, an African-American man who is also from the West End, was dissatisfied with the location because he said it was far from where he lived. He said in my neighborhood, most people do not have cars. It's not fair for them to have one site and for it to be so far away from people who are not able to commute here. Well, maybe not, but if this goes well, if they can point to this experiment in November, I suspect Mitch McConnell will be very delighted when he is on the ballot. 
especially if people in Louisville, where half of the voters are black, may have some trouble getting out to the polls. Of course, as I always try to to note on such days, uh, sometimes it takes a while for problems uh, at the polls to reveal themselves, both uh, at the polls and in the results, which may or may not come by our next uh, broadcast, since there are so many incoming votes that are coming in via absentee in both Kentucky and New York's election. But it is nice for a change, again, at least so far, to not have to plow through a crush of disaster reports from polling places so far today, at least in Kentucky. In New York City, many of the complaints uh, fielded by voter protection groups centered on polling places that opened late, particularly in Brooklyn and in the Bronx, which uh, some are attributing to potentially, possibly uh, MTA's overnight slowdown schedule for cleaning the subways, meaning that uh, people weren't able to get there by the 5 a.m. start time. And uh, voters at a number of locations, uh, particularly in the early hours after polls opened, had reported that they had not received both pages of their ballot. That could potentially be a big problem If we uh, find some close races, some, uh, you know, races in some of these uh, congressional primaries, apparently the ballot in New York is separated into one for the presidential primaries and one for the congressional primaries and local races. And some voters reported that they were only given one of those two ballots when they initially went to vote. So we'll keep our eyes on that one. There were also reports of computer op scan systems that failed at some precincts, which means that those ballots supposedly get stored in a secure box to be scanned later, either after they fix the op scan system or they can scan them back at uh, county headquarters. But it does make voters feel very concerned when the uh, op optical scan machines are down and they're very concerned that their votes won't be tallied at all later if they are used to them being tallied right there and then at the precinct. Like other states, Kentucky and New York have made it easier for voters to cast ballots by mail instead of risking exposure to the virus by waiting in long lines. Kentucky has been so overwhelmed by an increase in mail ballots that the state's two biggest counties, Jefferson, Louisville, and Fayette, Lexington, are not planning to release results on election night, according to Secretary of State Michael Adams. I do hope that the residents of Kentucky will be able to survive. They may have to wait another hour or two, maybe even the next day before they get results. Is everybody okay in Kentucky? If you need help, let me know. Well, I'm not just concerned about Kentucky. What on earth will the mainstream corporate media do? Ah, They're going to be in deep trouble. Oh, no. They're going to be just tearing their hair out, trying to fill time because they've got nothing to talk about. There's nothing to talk about because it's such a slow news day. They got nothing else they can report on, apparently. Kentucky uh, typically receives a few mail ballots, according to AP, but they expect uh, but expects them mail ballots to account for the majority of votes this time, with the state now allowing any registered voter to vote by mail. More than 400,000 mail ballots were returned as of Sunday. Good for you, Kentucky. New York officials expect the vast majority of votes also to be mail ballots this year compared to their typical 5 percent share. Well, they finally made it easier for voters to use absentee ballots and voters like them, especially during pandemics. 
Counties in the Empire State have until eight days after Election Day to count and release the results of mail ballots with 1.7 million requested by voters. So what we will or won't know on our next broadcast remains to be seen. As Tuesday's voting approached, however, Donald Trump continued his effort to undermine America's faith in mail-in voting by repeating more of his unfounded claims that uh, the system is just rife with fraud. He said, quote, because of mail-in ballots, all capital for some reason, because of mail-in ballots, 2020 will be the most rigged, all capital, rigged election in our nation's history unless this stupidity is ended, he tweeted, accusing proponents of, quote, using COVID in order to cheat. Of course, because he said that, here I have to mention that Donald Trump did not use COVID in order to cheat with his absentee ballot. He just cheated on his own before COVID had anything to do with it by, yes, committing voter fraud in registering to vote and then voting by absentee ballot in the state of Florida, where Donald Trump does not have a lawful permanent legal residence. He registered to vote in Florida last year at his commercial club, Mar-a-Lago, describing that as his, quote, legal address on the Voter, app, voter registration application at Mar-a-Lago in the town of Palm Beach, despite agreeing when he bought the place in 1993 that it could not be used as a permanent residence for anybody, yes, including even him. At least one fraud complaint has already been filed in the state of Florida, which, according to Florida state law anyway, means that an official investigation must occur. Other Americans have been given jail time for much lesser voting fraud than that committed last year and this year by the president of the United States. And because this is state law that he violated, not federal law, there is no uh, legal excuse. Oh, you can't charge the president. Nonsense. Yes, you can charge the president with voter fraud under state law because, yes, he committed it this year when he voted by mail absentee ballot in the state of Florida. All right. One uh, just one more point on Tuesday. Virginia was also holding congressional primaries. I wonder if Trump voted there, too, just for fun. Why not? <laughs> he's right next door. I'm sure he's got some property there. And there was also uh, one Republican House runoff each in North Carolina, the site of the worst absentee ballot fraud scheme, by the way, in this country that we've seen for years back in 2018. That was carried out by Republicans uh, and a Republican House runoff in Mississippi. So whatever noteworthy results come out by our next broadcast, of course, we will be sharing those with you. Right now, we take a quick break and we come back to share with you. Desi Doyen's latest Green News report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. 
You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Hey, Desi Doyen. Uh, earlier in the show, we promised there would be some good news in the Green <laughs> News Report. Yeah. I expect you will uh, keep that promise in our latest Green News Report. The official reading was 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit. Months-long Arctic heat wave delivers all-time record high in Siberia. Extreme heat now kills more Americans than hurricanes and floods. Trump administration rolls back decades-old protections for migratory birds. Plus, we owe it to future generations to build back better, including a fairer, greener, and a more resilient global economy. UK builds world's largest liquid air battery. Liquid air battery? Yep. What's that? A liquid air battery. All of those mysteries answered and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She doesn't even want wind. She doesn't want those bird-killing machines that go round and round. You want to see a lot of birds that are dead go under a windmill sometime. You want to see a presidential campaign that's dead? Go to Tulsa sometime. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen. Does Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez really oppose wind power, as Donald Trump says? <laughs> no, not at all. At his rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma over the weekend, President Trump repeated his delusional obsession with wind energy and false claims about high numbers of bird deaths. Just FYI, glass buildings and oil and gas fields kill far more birds than wind turbines. Donald Trump owns a lot of glass buildings, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And he supports a lot of oil and gas fields as well, doesn't he? Yep. Of course, Trump omitted the part where his administration just rolled back decades-old migratory bird protections oh, yeah. to benefit the fossil fuel industries. The new draft rules allow companies to simply claim they didn't mean to kill any birds, and that's good enough to escape fines and penalties. Plus, the Trump administration's own environmental assessment of the rollback admits that it will result in more bird deaths than under the old rules, and it suggests that there are actually benefits to having fewer birds birds in the world. Other than that, he's really, really opposed to windmills because they kill all of those birds, not because they want to build it outside of his golfing properties offshore. Right. I gotcha. Disturbing heat record in the Arctic Circle, the small Siberian town of Verkoyansk hit 100 degrees Fahrenheit on Saturday, about 30 degrees hotter than the hottest temperatures for June. Once verified, it will be the all-time record high for the Arctic Circle since record-keeping began in the 1850s. 100 degrees Fahrenheit in Siberia. Did I read that in Miami it has only ever hit 
100 degrees once? Yes. Meteorologists say it's also extremely unusual because this temperature spike has persisted since December. The number and intensity of Siberian wildfires has also increased. Climate scientists say the dramatic swings in temperature in Siberia would only happen once in 100,000 years if it weren't for man-made climate change. The Arctic is warming twice as fast as the rest of the planet. That is melting permafrost on which much of the Arctic's infrastructure is built. It also releases more climate warming carbon dioxide and methane, creating a self-reinforcing feedback loop that makes global warming even worse. And now a new study concludes that extreme heat is the biggest public health threat from extreme weather in the United States. The study from Columbia University finds that more Americans have died from extreme heat waves than hurricanes, tornadoes, or floods over the last 10 years. Scientists say that heat waves in cities across the U.S. have tripled in frequency on average over the last 20 years, and that heat waves are getting longer, including dangerous nighttime heat. And both man-made climate change and urbanization contribute to the nighttime heat trend. Florida and Arizona have seen heat-related hospitalizations and deaths double over the last decade. Researchers publishing in the Journal of the American Medical Association in a comprehensive study of 32 million births found that women who were exposed to higher temperatures or air pollution were more likely to give birth to children who were premature, underweight, or stillborn. And like with so many health-related outcomes in the United States, African-American mothers and babies were harmed at disproportionately higher rates from the increases in air pollution and heat. But there is some good news, for the U.K. at least, where construction is underway on the world's largest liquid air battery. The massive project uses excess clean wind and solar energy to compress ordinary air into a liquid, and then, when needed, the air is released back into a gas with the pressure powering a turbine to generate clean, zero-carbon energy right back to the grid. The liquid air battery can store energy for weeks, unlike conventional chemical batteries, and will be able to to power 200,000 homes for hours at a time. It's backed with funding from the UK government as part of its shift away from coal. Quite the contrast from the Trump administration. Yes, it is. And thank you for explaining what a liquid air battery is. Yep. I still don't understand it, but it sounds good. (laughs) So I'll take it. For much more on all of those stories and to help you figure out what a liquid air battery is, please stop by our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I can feel it calm in the Oh, Lord. I have been, uh, Desi, trying to figure out that liquid air battery yeah. since uh, since we uh, put that laid that down. And how'd you do? So, uh, well, I don't know. You tell me how I did. So, again, the concept, you take air and somehow there's a way to compress it and it becomes liquid? Yeah. And like liquid natural gas? Yeah, okay. That same idea. So, now we have liquid air. Air, mm-hmm. and then there's another process that we use to make the liquid turn back to air. Correct. Is that right? Correct. And when it goes back to air, it causes wind. 
that turn that turns a turbine is that am i understanding uh, that's, that correct that's very close think of it like something that would be under pressure like say a nail gun so that has a lot of force to right. it and if it's something that uses compressed, compressed air, air to shoot that out so it's a similar concept that this compressed air has great pressure pressure high enough to turn an electric generating turbine which yeah. is a big machine so is it a very expensive process because it kind of sounds like a holy grail you could use this everywhere i'm pretty sure we've all got air <laughs> Well, that is exactly what the company says. Uh, they're, they're called High View Power, and yeah. there's a cool animation that we have linked to at the uh, Green News Report uh, post at yeah. bradblog.com or go straight to greennews.bradblog.com, and you can see this animation. And yeah, they basically use excess energy in the afternoon. Say solar energy is not all going to be used by mm -hmm. the grid at the time, so you use those times to compress, to have that huge energy you need to compress air into liquid. Uh, and they actually recapture the waste heat and the waste cooling from the entire process to recycle back into the system to release this energy. See, Desi Doyen knows much more about stuff than I ever give her time for in, <laughs> in six minutes of the Green News Report, which is why, by the way, if you stop by our website... Uh, greennews.bradblog.com. You'll see that each day's Green News Report comes not just with the main stories that we had time to cover in those six minutes, but like a boatload of links <laughs> to other stories and explanations of things that we could not fit into. The yeah, and there's so much. It's yep. it's kind of insane. It's coming faster than ever now. So it's and, uh, it's really interesting stuff. And speaking of, you said that report at the top where it was 100, what was it, 104 in Siberia? 100 degrees in Siberia. There was also another temperature record of 113 degrees recorded in Siberia, in Siberia? but that was a land-based thermometer rather than a satellite-based, and oh, so well, it's less course, precise, totally, and yeah. it also is just a very <laughs> small local thing, so that also has to be confirmed, but yeah, that's pretty pretty shocking. This heat wave, we've, it's, we have been uh, reporting on it in Siberia, again, in the Arctic Circle uh, for weeks now in various ways. It keeps causing problems. Those fires, those four, the uh, wildfires, the zombie, zombie fires, fires that yes. did not go out since from last, last year, year. Yep. Uh, collapsing, what was it, oil tank, oil yes. refinery? Right, the tank that sank in because the permafrost underneath it yep. melted and caused a massive oil spill that will take decades to clean up. This is a very serious problem, and no, it's not just a coincidence that these things are going on. There is a reason for these things, but Donald Trump apparently has no idea what those reasons are, or does, and doesn't care. Right. Anyway, got to get out. Thank you, Desi Doyen, yep. our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. That is made possible along with the entirety of bradblog.com, made possible by those of you who support our efforts. We cannot thank you enough, those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going 100% listener supported so we don't give a damn what the corporations have to say about us you can uh, also drop me email if you like I am bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters I am simply the Brad blog see you there until we see you here next time I'm Brad Friedman good luck world <laughs>